It's easy uh, to forget or not appreciate uh, why the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why they were written in the first place. Um, We can grow so familiar with them and of the character they speak of, Jesus Christ himself, uh, that we forget that those who first read the Gospels uh, came to them with a very different mindset to what we do. Uh, Many of them didn't know the end of the story. They knew very little of who Jesus Christ was and what he accomplished. Uh, And when the Gospel authors are writing these Gospels, Uh, They're not just writing uh, nice, pretty little stories about Jesus. Uh, They're eager to explain to anyone who is willing to read who Jesus is and why he came and what he did. And Mark, uh, when he writes this, which is the shortest of the Gospels, uh, he's eager for people to understand that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. That's what we read in the opening verse. And that's Mark's aim throughout this book, to show us who Christ is. But given that's the case, it's surprising how he starts, or how he continues after verse 1. Uh, look what he writes in verse 2. He says, well, I'll read from verse 1. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark immediately in this gospel about Jesus Christ, quotes from the Old Testament. Seems a strange choice. Surely he would be speaking about something new now. He's speaking about Jesus. Why does he want to go back to the Old Testament? And not only does he go back to the Old Testament, he even quotes a verse which isn't speaking directly about Jesus, but is talking about someone else. Uh, He quotes from Isaiah and Malachi. And he quotes one which says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Uh, In verse 3, he says, The voice of what he quotes, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Neither of those people are referring to Jesus. And yet Mark considers it's important to go back to these witnesses. And in verse 4, he introduces who this messenger is who was foretold in the Old Testament. And he tells us who the voice belongs to who is crying in the wilderness he gives us his name is John. Verse 4 says, John came baptizing in the wilderness 
and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So as I say, it seems a very strange way to start his gospel. He presents it as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then he immediately starts talking about this man called John, who preached in the wilderness. Uh, Not only did he preach in the wilderness, he also was somewhat unusual in other ways. Look at verse 6. It says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. (laughs) You think, who is this John the Baptist? Why is he dressed in this uh, unusual way? What's he doing in the wilderness? What's his significance to the message that Mark is seeking to give? When a kind of strange, paradoxical way, the importance of John is his relative unimportance. The reason that John is significant is because he is insignificant. What Mark is emphasizing in this opening paragraph of his gospel isn't John, but who John is pointing to. That's the significance of John the Baptist. Not he himself, but what he was doing and who he was pointing to. And it's the same reason that Mark quotes from the Old Testament. Uh, Because John, if you like, represents the whole Old Testament written before Jesus came. Because the whole purpose of the Old Testament was to point to Jesus. And Mark is saying that everything that was written beforehand was written to bring us to this point, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, You might ask, well, why was John dressed in this peculiar way? Well, again, we're given the answer in the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, God gave this promise. He said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. God said that the prophet Elijah would come before the day of the Lord, the day of God's Messiah. And if you read 2 Kings chapter 1, you discover that Elijah used to dress in a way very similar to how John is described in verse 6. Now, for those of you who are interested in biblical prophecy, there is a possibility that that prophecy regarding Elijah has not yet happened. We're not going to get into that this evening. But at the very least, when people saw John the Baptist, they couldn't help but think of this prophecy in the book of Malachi. They see a man preaching in the wilderness, looking like Elijah. And if they had any wherewithal at all, they would think, 
Is this the one who was promised to come? Is he the one preparing the way of God's Messiah? Because that was the significance of John the Baptist. Not who he was, but who he pointed to. John was a signpost to Jesus Christ. Uh, He was never meant to be a stopping point uh, for people to follow him. They were supposed to listen to what John the Baptist said and find Jesus Christ. Uh, That's the big tragedy uh, of Judaism today. Um, Judaism, if you like, is a religion that has stopped at the signpost but hasn't gone on to the destination. Uh, They stay with the Old Testament, but they fail to see where it's pointing to Jesus Christ. And that's what Mark is seeking to do in the opening of this gospel. He's saying, don't just stay in the Old Testament. It's pointing somewhere, and it's pointing to Jesus Christ. And the pinnacle of the Old Testament, if you like, is John the Baptist. He's the last Old Testament prophet, the last one before Jesus comes. And in the rest uh, of this passage, uh, we see the insignificance of John the Baptist in relation to the significance of Jesus Christ. And that's really what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at is looking at how the insignificance of John the Baptist shows us the significance of Jesus. Um, Because I've just mentioned Judaism uh, as a religion which has stopped at the signpost, which has missed the point, quite literally. But the truth is, all religions do the same thing. All other religions Uh, If you imagine a signpost like you can see at John O'Groats with all its different arrows pointing, uh, Judaism is pointing the right way, but they've stopped and they haven't found the destination. All the other religions of the world are pointing in all sorts of different directions away from Jesus. The only way of safety, the only way of security, the only way of salvation is to follow to leave that sign and find Jesus Christ. And there are many ways in which people can stop at the signpost of religion and not find the point, Jesus Christ. Give the first example, uh, how the Bible makes clear that baptism is commanded but not sufficient. Uh, Baptism is a uh, religious ceremony which is obviously administered in christian circles but in other religions as well it was done here in the beginning of the new testament but john the baptist shows us that baptism while while it is commanded by god it is not sufficient by itself Uh, there are two mistakes uh, people can make with baptism. Uh, One is thinking that baptism is everything. Uh, You get sprinkled as a baby, uh, you get dunked as an adult, and you're sorted. You're done. 
you are safe, you will enter heaven. But the other danger is thinking that baptism means nothing. That all that matters is what goes on in your heart. Uh, It doesn't matter what you do outwardly as long as your heart is thinking the right thing. But the Bible says both those errors are not correct. Uh, As I said, many people have been christened. Many people have been baptized. But it meant nothing. They just got wet. And it did nothing for their soul. But what the Bible teaches is that baptism, while it is important, is only important because of what it points to, and more importantly, who it points to. There's a really helpful verse uh, in this regard in 1 Peter chapter 3. Perhaps we'll come to it before too long in our morning messages. Uh, But in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, Peter mentions, almost in passing, uh, about baptism. And he says this in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now saves us. That's quite a wordy verse, but Peter says that baptism now saves us, but not the washing of the body, not the kind of fact that you got wet, but because baptism is a picture, is an outward expression of a cry to God. Uh, When someone gets baptized, if they know about it, what they're doing is they're crying out to God for washing. They're saying to God, as it were, what's happening to my body now, I need to happen to my soul. It's an appeal to God for salvation. That's how Peter describes it. Now, if you like, baptism is a visual prayer. It's the expression of what our lives should be like. Uh, the Christians should be continuously crying out to God. That characterizes what a Christian is. A Christian is the person who cries out to Jesus, who longs for Jesus to save them, who knows that Jesus is their only hope. And baptism is an expression of that. But you see that baptism alone doesn't save. The cry alone doesn't save. What saves is the person the cry is made to. Um, A baby getting baptised in a font knows nothing about what is happening. They're not crying out to Jesus. They're not, well, they are crying out, but it's not because they're wanting salvation. So many people might get dunked in the pool, but if they're not crying out to Christ, if they're not looking to Christ for salvation, then they're getting wet and nothing else. Uh, Look what John the Baptist says in verse 7. 
says, and John the Baptist preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what John's saying? He's saying, I've baptized you with water, but there's more that is needed. You need a saviour. You need a saviour who can give you the Holy Spirit, who can give you new life inside. I can baptise you with water, but only Christ can fill you with the Holy Spirit. Only Christ can truly grant forgiveness. Only, truly, only Christ can truly save. So that's the first thing John the Baptist teaches us and teaches everyone who reads Mark's Gospel. Baptism, though it's commanded is not sufficient by itself. We need Christ. Uh, But that leads on to a second thing we learn from John the Baptist. And that is repentance is necessary, but repentance alone is not enough. Uh, In a way, this is really just saying the same thing as the first point, because baptism is a symbol of Repentance. It's an outward picture of what repentance is in the heart. Uh, Repentance is acknowledging that you are in the wrong and that you need to change. Uh, It's realizing that you're walking in the wrong direction and turning around and walking in the correct direction. That's what repentance is. But you realize that many religions teach that. To some extent, all religions teach repentance of some form or another. Uh, Many religions are full of renunciation of sin. Uh, Just go and look at the Buddhists, look at the Muslims. Uh, They teach repentance very clearly, uh, at least from some things. Uh, They say that it's important that we turn from wickedness and turn to righteousness That's a theme of nearly all religions to some extent. And often they're genuine. Often they really do hate their course, their previous course of life. Often they really do want to turn over a new leaf. Often they really do want to make restitution for bad mistakes made in the past. But John the Baptist teaches us that repentance alone doesn't save anyone. Regret alone doesn't save anyone. Turning over a new leaf alone doesn't save anyone. We actually have an example of this in the book of Acts. Uh, Later on, when the church was growing and the gospel was being preached around Europe, um, Paul uh, arrives in Ephesus And he meets some people who are in this exact situation. Let me just read it. Um, I didn't write the chapter down, which was a mistake, but uh, you can look it up later. But in the book of Acts, when Paul goes to Ephesus, uh, God's word says, And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. 
Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Do you see that situation? Paul comes to Ephesus and there are some people and they've, they're disciples to some extent, but they've only heard about John the Baptist. They've only heard about his baptism and they've sort of gone as far as that, but they haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. It seems they haven't even heard, at least not in great detail, about Jesus. And Paul says to them, you've only heard half the message You haven't heard all that John said. John was baptizing, but John said, you must believe on him who is greater than I am. You must run to him. By all means, be baptized. By all means, repent. But run to Jesus. Run to the Savior. And the message is simple. Without Christ, even repentance is futile. It's a cry for help, but it's to the empty air. That's why the Bible always says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not enough to just simply cry out. Many religions cry out to this, that, or the other deity. This, that, or the other saint. Many people cry out for salvation but salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. And that was John the Baptist's message. John's Baptist's message is, don't stop with me. Don't just listen to me. Run to someone who is greater than I am. Cry out to him. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Both are necessary. Repentance alone does not save So that's the second thing we learn. The first thing was that baptism, although it's commanded, alone does not save. Secondly, we learn that repentance, though necessary uh, by itself, does not save. The last thing we learn from John the Baptist is preaching is essential, but what matters is who the preaching is of. Preaching is essential But what matters most is who the preaching is of. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, we hear sermons every day. Uh, Even people who wouldn't say they were religious uh, are hearing sermons every day and often are giving sermons every day. uh, Because sermons are everywhere. Uh, On your TV screen... Uh, on billboards, uh, on T-shirts, even the England football team or uh, your favourite football team, no doubt, especially increasingly today, will preach some sort of message often just before kick-off. There are messages being preached to us all the time. But the question is, who or what are they preaching? That is the crucial question. And Mark makes absolutely clear for us that any preaching that is not ultimately 
of Jesus Christ is not worthwhile. What did John the Baptist say? John the Baptist said, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we're told in John's Gospel that as he was there in the Jordan River baptizing, he sees Christ coming towards them. And what does he do? He points and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was a good preacher, not because he was eloquent, not because he had good illustrations, not because lots of people listened to him. John was a good preacher because he was pointing in the right direction. That's what made him a great preacher. There's a painting which I've mentioned before, uh, and I love the painting, or at least I love one part of the painting. Now, the bit I don't love is it's a picture of Christ crucified on the cross, and I'm not so keen on that part of the picture. But what I like is that standing next to the cross is a picture, a painting of John the Baptist. There's a man called Matthias Brunwald who painted this painting many years ago. And next to Christ on the cross, he painted John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is standing there with the scriptures in one hand and his finger pointing at Christ, his other finger pointing at Christ. And that brilliantly encapsulates who John the Baptist was. He wasn't pointing people to himself. He wasn't saying to people, look at me. He wasn't saying to people, follow me. He was saying, look at Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we have a very poignant picture of this, again, in John's Gospel. Uh, We're told after he's made this great proclamation of Christ, that he's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, uh, John chapter 1, verse 35 says that John stood with two of his disciples. Uh, He was standing, uh, presumably after one of his sermons, with two of his disciples. And it says next, And looking at Jesus as he walked, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. I always wonder when I read that verse, what did John feel like when these disciples immediately leave him and start following Jesus? I can imagine many people today, many preachers, many pastors, many um, uh, influencers being very disappointed, being very glum at someone leaving them and following another. But I don't think John was glum. I think John rejoiced, because that was the purpose for which he came. Uh, He even said it elsewhere. Uh, He said, I must decrease, but he must increase, because his focus was on Christ. His preaching wasn't of himself It was of Christ. And that is the key. That is the litmus test for whether a religion is good or evil. Does it preach Christ or does it not? If it doesn't, run from it. If it does, then embrace it. Preaching is essential as long as it is of Christ. So those are the three lessons, I'm sure there's more, but those are the three lessons we can learn from John the Baptist. And we see that 
The lessons we learn aren't about John the Baptist, really. They're all about Jesus. That uh, baptism by itself doesn't save. It needs to be a baptism into Jesus Christ. That repentance by itself does not save. It must be accompanied by faith in Jesus Christ. And preaching, just as preaching, isn't necessarily good unless it's of Jesus Christ. And if you have any doubt, we have the testimony of God himself in this passage. And we'll close with this. Uh, Look at verse 9 to verse 11. It says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that voice from heaven really is a summary of the rest of the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is declaring to us what God himself declared, that this is God's beloved Son, in whom he is well pleased. And trustfully, uh, over the next few weeks and months, uh, we will learn more about how That is so from Mark's gospel. Uh, But we'll close now by singing uh, our final hymn, and it's number 602. And it's a hymn that can be sung by all those who have followed the signpost and found Christ. Uh, They're not resting in this or that religion, but they're resting in Jesus Christ himself. So it's number 602, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. So we'll close by singing 602.